you all. That was wonderful. Wonderful. Thank you for using your gifts to help us celebrate. Good morning, brothers and sisters. So good to be home. So good to be home. One month ago, I was in uh, Nigeria. Uh, That was my class, a cohort of master's degree students, and we were studying the ethics of Jesus. And I want you to pray for these folks. You don't know them, but they're in leadership, and by the grace of God and the power of the Spirit, they're going to make a difference. So pray that God will give them courage as they study. We've got five months together of this study Um, I also want to bring you greetings from your missionaries, Dominic and Rejoice Oluru. This is uh, the leaders of a church group, a small indigenous denomination, and Trinity, you have been walking with them for, my goodness, 15 years. And uh, by God's grace, they're still alive, which in South Sudan is a minor miracle. So thanks for your faithfulness, and they do love you. They are so grateful. They are so grateful. Dominic really wants to come over here and tell you in person. They say, ah, you have no idea what that's all about. Anyhow, our theme this morning for the third Sunday in Advent is the joy of salvation. And worship team, you've allowed us to begin to express That amazing joy, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, His love, joy. So as the Spirit works in us, joy wells up. However, the New York Times, which is not the Bible, clearly, (laughs) reports that Americans are grumpy. It was a headline. Americans are grumpy. And they weren't, you know, just talking trash or trying to slander everybody. They were reading research data that said no matter what the economic indicators and the macro uh, research says, Americans just feel, eh, like things are bad. And uh, I know that's not you. Right? It's not you. <laughs> Depends on the day, yeah. Uh Uh-huh, yeah, that's the truth. And uh, I get it, and it is hard, hard to maintain a joyful heart when facing stuff, December, you know? You you guys have the unfortunate, uh, I don't know what to call it, but you got a presidential primary thing coming up, and if that doesn't rob your joy, I don't think anything's going to. And uh, some of you have to travel. Are you going to travel in the next couple weeks? Ah, we're going to travel. We're going to Florida because that's where our daughter Kate is and the grandkids. But, you know, much as we love them, the thought of travel, TSA lines, you know, hurry up and wait. Get there three hours early and then stand in line forever and ever and, and take off your shoes and take off your belt and take off your watch and take off your jacket and take off your hat, empty out the Coke you just bought. And, ah, oh, joy to the world. Huh. Well, 
We're going to try to fix that this morning through the power of the Holy Spirit. Our gospel text for today, which Abigail read for us, is from Luke chapter 2. And in Luke chapter 2, you find the polar opposite of the gloom and doom that so many of us experience around us and maybe in our own hearts. Um, you, you find a bunch of shepherds and they're just bursting with joy. By the way, shepherds were a bunch of really bad dudes. You know, we, we live in a town with a, a lobster fishing industry and if you go down to the docks, the lobster guys bring their boats in and the dock workers are unloading. It is not, it is not for the faint of heart. You don't want to take the kids down there. These are tough guys. And so the shepherds, I actually have pictures of real shepherds up here somewhere, I think. Yeah, see, shepherds. Not the clean-cut guys on your Christmas cards, right? Not little kids in bathrobes with, you know, dish towels around their heads in the Christmas pageants. These, these are rough, tough guys. And to them, the heavens open. Boom! They are stunned. By the way, angels, let me just correct a misperception here too. Angels, if you want a picture of an angel on your Christmas card, get a Marvel superhero. Put that on your Christmas card. Why do I say that? Because it says when the shepherds, these tough, grisly guys, saw the angels, they were terrified. It says they were frightened with a very big fear. In the, in the Greek text. Now, that's not going to scare anybody, really, is it? So recall those Christmas cards you sent out. <laughs> Angels, shepherds. Isn't this amazing how God works? When God, our God, the great God of the universe, wants to get a message to planet Earth, who does he call on? He calls on shepherds. Sort of the lower class of ancient Palestinian society. And here's the scripture. We'll have to go back a couple slides. I was meant to read that earlier. So here's Luke 2. This is what we're going to think about today and learn from. When angels had left them and gone into heaven, so just before this is that amazing announcement, but the shepherds say to one another, let's go to Bethlehem. We've got to see this thing that has happened, which the Lord, notice they know where the message came from, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and they found Mary and Joseph and the newborn who was lying in a trough. It says manger, but this is just a trough, you know. When they'd seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they'd seen and heard, which were just as they had been told. Now, I mean, you know this, it's so familiar, but in the word that the angels did speak, 
to the shepherds, there were four big words. If you go back and read what the angels said in verse 11. Savior. Mashiach. Messiah. Israel's Messiah. Lord. David. Those four words must have struck these shepherds like a a, a lightning bolt. Savior, the one, the, the great warrior who will come, give his life, deliver his people. There's a Savior. Messiah, of course, we, we're more familiar with that. We're more familiar with the Greek translation of Messiah, which is Christ. So when you say Christ, you're talking about Israel's anointed king, spoken of so many times in the Old Testament prophets. The Lord is the supreme ruler. Especially in this Roman Empire culture, when you say kurios, when you say Lord, you're talking about someone of unquestioned authority. And the city of David, which for Hebrews, for Jews, this was the environment. David was still the iconic king. So no wonder the shepherds are jazzed, huh? They've just been told that this is happening. And so in verse 15, they say, we got to go check it out. And they do, of course. And what do they find? Again, they, as the song we just sang said, they don't find something glorious and majestic and kingly. They find a poor couple in a nasty little shed and a baby in a feeding trough. But their joy Cannot be contained. And so it says they go and they just blab all over the place. Now, again, remember, they did not have mobile phones. They did not have Twitter or X or whatever it's called now. They did not have Instagram. But they spread this news rapidly. And people, it says, are amazed when they hear the shepherds. They're astonished. Mary, contemplative. She's still trying to piece all this together and discern The work of the Lord. But the shepherds overflow with joy. Now, that's cool, but remember, their situation has not changed. Right? I mean, Rome is still Rome. Rome is still brutal. Shepherds still have a dangerous and low-paying job. Who knows what kind of, you know, mischief the sheep got into while they were down in Bethlehem. The sheep, you know, they're facing stuff. Just like us. Life was remarkably difficult for them. But their hearts were full of joy. So I ask myself, and, and maybe you are, what, what did they know? Meaning, how did they understand this word from the angels? What was the, the, the story, the narrative, the context in which... They heard the word of the angels and made sense of it. These rough, marginalized guys knew enough about the story told by Old Testament prophets to be able to sense that the angels' announcement could only mean God was about to show up take charge. So because they knew scripture, again, they're not Bible scholars. You know more Bible than they do. But in their world, this 
was a living hope. This was in the culture, and they absorbed it. And so when they heard the word, they made sense of it. And the Old Testament prophets, don't you love reading that stuff? I mean, they're artists with words. They painted pictures to capture the imaginations of the hearts of the Hebrews in desperate times. And I want want to try to paint that picture. Um, I'm going to read you something. It's it's one of my favorite readings ever. And, And it's a weaving together like a tapestry of Old Testament themes. There's stuff here from Isaiah. There's stuff from Micah. There's stuff from Zephaniah and Zechariah. There's even things from John. This is the picture that the Old Testament prophets painted that the shepherds had somewhere in their memory that caused this explosion of joy. You ready? You can close your eyes if you want. Just don't doze off. But use your imagination. Don't be analytical here. Just let, it, let the pictures grow like Old Testament prophecy is supposed to do. Stinks to be old. There we go. Let's take a journey together to another time and place. As far as the eye can see, there's no sign of life, no water, not a single blade of grass stretched out before us in all directions is a silent desert. There's not even the whisper of a breeze. Suddenly, rising up in front of us out of this wilderness is an enormous mountain as lifeless and foreboding as the desert that surrounds it. Rugged boulders stand guard at its base. Without warning, dark clouds roll across the sky and shadows cover the land. The desert is abruptly plunged into a suffocating darkness. The still air is almost electric. The skies are suddenly rent by blinding light and deafening sound. The earth begins to convulse beneath our feet as though in labor. In a flash of light, we can see the mountain shaking violently, throwing huge rocks down its heaving sides. Sheets of slashing rain join the assault. No sooner has the storm started than it's over. The desert is silent again, and the mountain is still. Steam begins rising from the valley as a spectacular rainbow arches from the valley floor right over the top of the mountain. Somehow, in that brief moment, everything seems to have changed. A sense of newness fills the air. Thousands of small, dark, Dots begin appearing on the horizon. They seem to be slowly coming towards us. At first, it's impossible to make out what they are, but as they begin to come closer, we can see their people. Thousands of people coming toward us from all directions. Those who are able help the feeble and the small children over the rocks. They walk right past us and begin scaling the boulders at the foot of the mountain. One young man with cerebral palsy struggles with the greatest difficulty to get past the boulders and begin climbing the mountain. As he wrenches his body up the trail, he suddenly 
stands erect. By the time he disappears from sight, his stride has become more confident. The desert is flooded with people coming from every direction, all kinds of people. There's a family of Palestinian refugees. That man with the machete looks like a sugarcane worker from Guatemala. Those kids chasing each other must be from one of our mega cities like Kinshasa. The only thing they seem to have in common is that they all look very poor. A group of men and women who look like they're from South Sudan are having a particular difficulty getting started up the mountain. They're chained together at the ankles, scarcely alive. Others help them. Finally, they get started up the trail. They only take a few steps when they stop abruptly in the middle of the trail and stare at each other. Their ankle chains are lying open on the ground. The Sudanese begin spontaneously singing and dancing right in the middle of the switchback. Their faces are transformed with jubilation. Looking back, we can see that not only is the valley filled with people from every tribe and nation pressing toward the mountain, the valley itself is remarkably changed. Majestic cedars have appeared from nowhere. The desert is now covered with grasslands sprinkled with wildflowers. Groves of olive trees rich with fruit cluster at the base of the mountain. The mountain has come to life too. The face is carpeted with rich vegetation, flowering shrubs. As the first climbers reach the rim, they find themselves on a vast plateau. And in the distance, they see the skyline of an enormous city. It looks like it is descending directly out of the sky. The city glistens in the sunlight as if it is made of transparent gold. The gates of the city glow like great pearls. As the throng moves through the gates, there appears to be a tremendous sense of homecoming. People coming from different trails run to embrace loved ones as if they haven't seen them in a long, long time. The best of all that's been seems to have come alive again. The past, the present, the future have become one. A thousand voices in a hundred different tongues sing an incredibly lovely song. Jews and Gazans, Ukrainians and Russians, Hutus and Tutsis from Rwanda, and people from every political and cultural background are dancing up one street and down another, embracing, caught up in the spirit of the mountain and the city. Even wild and domesticated animals Join in the celebration. A small curly-headed child rides by the dancers on a lion. He leads the celebrants into a huge square in the center of the city. The atmosphere in the square hangs heavy with the fragrance of springtime. The growing sense of anticipation. Underneath the trees are hundreds of long oak tables beautifully decorated with fruit and flowers. They're covered with large jugs of wine and plates stacked high with bread, like a gigantic wedding reception. 
A solitary figure puts down his shepherd's staff, picks up a towel, and prepares to serve the guests. Part of the procession is still following the boy on the lion toward the head of the square. There, at the very center of the city, a crystal river flows from a brilliant light which illuminates the entire city. Somehow the mountain, the city, the river are all one. As the procession approaches, we see a small group of people having foot races alongside the river. A line of crutches and canes marks their track. Everywhere you can hear those who had been imprisoned rejoicing. They keep shouting over and over, all oppression is ended. All sins forgiven. Following the child, they crowd along the riverbank to give grateful thanks. Some are still singing, others quietly praying. Still others with faces on fire with joy extend their hands toward the heavens. The singing, the praising, the laughing, the crying all blend in a beautiful harmony. Thousands come to the river, kneel down to pray, and go away renewed. In the square, a child's voice suddenly rings out. Proclaim the feast of the Lord. People begin moving toward the tables. The poor, oppressed, and forgotten ones are made the special guests of honor. The child speaks again with great reverence. Here on Mount Zion... The Lord Almighty will prepare a banquet for all nations of the world, a banquet of the richest foods and finest wines. Here he will suddenly remove the cloud of sorrow that has been hanging over all nations. The sovereign Lord will destroy death forever. Now at last God has his dwelling among men. He will dwell among them and they shall be his people and God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There shall be an end to death and to mourning and crying and pain for the old order has passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. There's the catalyst to the joy. Wish I was in Africa right now, actually, because there'd be a whole lot of singing and dancing, a lot of ululation. Anybody here know how to ululate? Probably some of you back there do. Google that if you've never heard it. It's stunning. There'd be a lot of, and I know you're feeling joy. Yeah, it, it's, it's there, isn't it? You sense something. You love God, you trust God, you know His promises. And that moves us. Well, let me see 
I mean, the prophets were like that. They spoke in these pictures. And they're beautiful. But let me try to translate all that. The story the shepherds knew. You see, the shepherds knew that. That was the world they lived in. They lived in a community that kept this alive, this dream. And, and, and the angel's message could only mean one thing. It's happening today. This is it. Here's what all those beautiful metaphors mean in sort of more straightforward prose, okay? Some of us aren't, you know, really imagination people. So, so let's, let's, let's translate it. This is good news that triggers mega joy, okay? The good news is that the one true God has now taken charge of the world. In and through Jesus and his death and resurrection. God's plan to put the world right has finally been launched. You hearing that? The starting gun has been fired. God has grasped the world in a new way. To sort it out and fill it with his glory and justice as he always promised. But he's done so in a way beyond the wildest dreams of prophecy. We did not see this coming, this Jesus thing. The ancient sickness that had crippled the whole world and humans with it has been cured at last through the cross of Christ. So that new life can rise up in its place. And you're evidence of that. Life has come to life and is pouring out like a mighty river into the world. In the form of a new power. The power now is the power of God's love. The good news was and is that all this has happened in and through Jesus. That one day it will happen completely and utterly to all creation. And that we humans, every single one of us, don't miss out. We can be caught up in that transformation here and now. This is the Christian gospel. Hallelujah. You feeling it now? It's sort of stirring, a little bit of joy down in there. I mean... In your defense, the Patriots are playing today. (laughs) So I understand why you're gloomy. But seriously, this, I mean, this is big. This is big. Some of you are thinking, you know, I could probably muster up some joy if I were uh, bombarded by a flash mob Of angelic superheroes. That might get my juices flowing. But you know what? We've got something better. Something better. Than a horde of angels. We know Jesus. We know Jesus. We know him personally. And we read the gospel accounts. And and the gospel says that. 
Gospel John begins, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then John says, the Word became flesh, dwelt among us. We beheld the glory of God. Verse 18 says, no one's ever seen God, but God the only Son has revealed Him, has made Him known. So, we got a better deal. Now that we have the revelation concerning Jesus. So, in Jesus, the new agenda of shalom. That's the, you know, the old Hebrew word for peace on earth. Shalom. The agenda of shalom being implemented on the ground. That's what we see in Jesus. In real people's lives. One by one. You want to see what peace on earth, what shalom, God's plan looks like, look at Jesus. Every time we see him make a a twisted body whole with his touch and see a paralytic go running down and leaping down the street, we're seeing the shalom of God. Every time Jesus opens the eyes of the blind, that's God's future peace. Being manifest. Every time he lovingly lifts children into his lap and plays with them and hugs them, that's what God's shalom is like. Every time he feeds the hungry, sets free the possessed, forgives the sinner, raises the dead, we are shown a preview, a glimpse of what God's intentions are for our future and the future of the earth. Jesus is this future peace on earth made present. That's cause for joy. We know Jesus. I don't know a lot of you now, which is actually really good. (laughs) If I still knew you all, that would mean you've been here for like 40 years and you're as decrepit as me. So it's wonderful there's so many new faces. But, you know, I don't, maybe some of you are like skeptical, rationalists. This dream is a fantasy. You thinking that? It's, it's, a, it's a myth. It's an impossibility. For some, this dream that the prophets proclaimed is about a A different place, a different reality, a different plane. But the the dream of God, the promise of God, is no fantasy. It is true. We've seen its impact. The dream of God is no myth. It is true. We believe it. The dream of God is no impossibility. As the angel, a different one, said to Mary, with God, nothing is impossible. I got a, I got a newsletter this week uh, from Renovare. A guy named Brian wrote this sort of reflection on the question of the reality of the incarnation, God coming in flesh. I just want to share it because it, it, it spoke to me. He said... Sometimes I wonder what the incarnation changed. 
the baby in the trough? I mean, did it really make a difference? Did he? Brian says, I mean, I know, my head knows, it changed everything. It divided time, it brought the kingdom close, it ripped open the portal to union with God. But when I'm setting up ceramic baby Jesus, knowing that somewhere someone is grieving a baby beheaded by a terrorist, I feel a temptation to despair. Then this thought stabilizes my soul. God never pretended that the arrival of Jesus was a quick fix for humanity's woes. From day one, Jesus was swaddled in suffering. Think of the stable. The long trip to Egypt as an asylum seeker. Herod's Bethlehem massacre, later naked on a cross. Suffering was his only covering. But the suffering that surrounded Jesus throughout his life and the suffering he experienced firsthand did not suffocate him. Humanity's hurt moved him. He wept. It did not Overwhelm him. Sin broke his heart. It did not break his joy. The birth and life of Jesus did change everything. I'm believing it again. But perhaps not in the way or on the timetable we had hoped. The life, birth of Jesus made all the difference. In the incarnation, God becoming one of us. God is saying, life on earth matters, people matter, pain matters. God is saying, when I made all I made in the way I made it, I knew what I was doing. I understood the cost of free will, which I know many seem hard, have a hard time believing. Uh, So God says, I'll take on your frame. I'll experience all you feel and more. I'll show you how to live at peace in a troubled world. How to be an unhurried and healing presence. I'll come in flesh, says God, to be an example to you. Then I'll come in the Spirit to be life to you. My rescue will be fast. Your adoption as children of God will be as quick as a hammer swing. Bang. But my rescue will be slow, says God. Millennia will pass before the fullness of the kingdom comes. My slowness is not cruelty or lack of care. On the contrary, I'm birthing a people of everlasting joy. That takes time. I think that's what this is all about. I think that's why we were singing this morning.
why the shepherds couldn't shut their mouths. So here we are, living joyfully between the first advent, the whole Bethlehem thing, and eagerly anticipating the second advent. A verse from Paul's writings, he writes to Titus in chapter 2, and he says this. By the way, Paul was a particularly joyful guy. (laughs) He was just overflowing in almost the worst possible circumstances. But he wrote, the grace of God has appeared, past tense. The grace that offers salvation to all people. That's a cause for joy. Grace has appeared. It showed up in history, real time. Teaches us to say no. By the way, grace is a teacher. Isn't that interesting? That's another sermon. Teaches us to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in the present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness. So, you know, that's where we are. By the way, C.S. Lewis says joy and anticipation really are all woven together. Lewis wrote, joy is distinct, not only from pleasure in general, but even from aesthetic pleasure, Joy must have the stab, the pang, the inconsolable longing. So joy receives the word of God and says, yeah. And sometimes it it even hurts. You can't wait, huh? You can't wait. So like those joy-filled shepherds, We, all of us, together as a community, welcome by faith this good news. Isn't it? This is good news. This is good news, even if the patriots lose, which is pretty much, well, never mind. (laughs) Good news from our Father in heaven. The good news is, you ready for this? In God's future shalom, the prophets talked about, there will be no more kids with crippled bodies or damaged brains. No more people suffering through the overwhelming pain of terminal cancer. No more babies will slowly die of starvation. No more people will struggle to survive while others live in conspicuous affluence. The sin of gun violence will be ended and children will go to school to learn and not be killed. There won't be any more people victimized by oppressive economic and political systems or individuals destroying themselves and others through malignant selfishness and sin. There'll be an end to fragmented relationships and broken homes, sexual abuse, loneliness, depression, no more. No more addicted young people, no more racism and hate crimes, no more mindless slaughter of the innocent, 
in the battlefields of the world. No more holocaust. No more genocide. No more rebellion against the rule of God in the world. He will redeem his people. And his creation. He will wipe away all tears from our eyes. Thank God. This future shalom has already begun. In Jesus our Messiah. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Joy to the earth. The Savior reigns. No more let sin and sorrow grow. Or thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow. Far as the curse is found. He rules the world. With truth. And grace makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness, wonders of his love. Let every heart prepare him room. Amen. Let's pray. May your words, the words of your prophets, the words and deeds and life of your Son, Holy Spirit, take all of these things, these treasures you have given to us. Drive them deep into our hearts, beyond just ideas in our minds. Let them go deep to the point where they begin to make us people of joy, people of love, no matter the circumstances. We want your fruit, Holy Spirit. We want to overflow with the joy of salvation. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for coming. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for showing us how to live Thank you, Lord Jesus, for going to the cross to redeem us from the curse. Forgive our sins. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that right now, as we pray to you, you are the Lord. You are the kurios. You are the ruler. We worship you. Amen.